0: Hi everyone, it's Beck here, coming to you from the Immigration Office in Berlin, or as we like to call it, the Ausländerbehörde, a beautiful German word. Um, We just wanted to do another one of these little introductions before the episode, because so much has changed in Australia regarding citizens and permanent residents being allowed to return home. Um, And everything is moving so quickly in various states, it's hard to keep up at the moment. I just want to say that as a Queenslander, I was happy by the news this week. I mean, it's not perfect. Um, there's still a lot to sort out. And if you if you know someone who's stuck overseas closely, you'll see that there's a lot of bureaucracy that's not making sense around vaccine um, approvals and recognition, et cetera, et cetera. How do we... There's also confusion about moving between states hoping that will come to clear up in the next few weeks, Um, but of course it's difficult for people who are returning or trying to return home soon. Um, Yeah, I don't want to say I'm grateful. It feels wrong to say grateful because all I'm getting is my right to return to my home and my family, and it almost feels wrong to say that I'm grateful for that, Um, but I nevertheless really am, and I'm looking forward to it. It's the first time in so long that I've had hope in this arena and it's so good just to speak from a Queensland point of view to see that public discourse or or at least political discourse has shifted on this because for so long it just seemed like a fortress and I never I thought god are we ever going to get back in So I'm just, uh, sending love and strength to people who are now doing the scramble to figure out what this means for their journey home and who are, you know, trying to deal with constantly changing again, rules and regulations, but we're getting there. Um, I just want to say again, that we're going to keep doing this once people are, you know, starting to return home, keeping in mind that of course, temporary visa holders are still in the same place, um. We want to keep um, the fight up for them because they, you know, they might not be permanent residents or citizens, but they contribute to our country just as we do. They pay taxes, they work in essential areas that we need. They deserve the same rights as us. Anyway, that's probably enough from me (laughs) sending love to you all. And again, well wishes from the coolest place on earth, the funnest the not-at-all-scary Berlin Immigration
1: Office.
2: Welcome to Australians Abandoned, the podcast where we share the stories of Australians stuck overseas during the pandemic. I'm Bree, and when I go back to Australia, I'm going to go to Mulaney and sit at my favourite spot overlooking the Glasshouse Mountains. I think I'm just going to spend some time there to cry and breathe and rest and just process everything that has happened, probably with a Cooper's Pale Ale or a Carlton Dry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Those are choices. Um, Cooper's okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. I'm back, and when I go back to Australia, I'm going to go to a particular takeaway shop in Bundaberg and get the best chips with chicken salt I've ever eaten. They were a staple of mine when I was a child living in Bundaberg. And I went back about more than 10 years ago, and the shop was still there, and the chips were still sick.
2: That I just That's something that I feel like... You can't get here. It is so rare to get good hot chips. I feel like they don't cook them long enough here.
3: Yeah, or they just make frites, which is like fries.
2: Yeah. Like American
3: thin fries. Yeah. Not good.
2: And on today's episode, we speak to Beck, a
3: new mother stuck in Europe. Beck moved to Stockholm in January 2020 while pregnant with her son so that her Swedish husband could enjoy some papa leave. Soon after she arrived, the pandemic hit, and she found herself experiencing her first pregnancy isolated in a new country and culture.
2: Amazingly, Beck's parents received
3: compassionate
2: exemption to travel to meet their first grandchild on their second application attempt. What they didn't realise, as flight caps had only recently been introduced, was that an
3: exemption to leave didn't ensure that they could return to Australia flight after flight was cancelled leaving them stuck in Stockholm for three months living in a hotel and wondering how they could continue to afford it all. When a flight finally became available they got a call at 8pm and had to be at the airport the next morning. After hearing the first episode of
2: this podcast Beck finally felt like she wasn't alone and wanted to also share her story. Thank you for your vulnerability Beck. Let's get into it.
1: Let me come home So what we usually
3: do back is we say we have this thing where we go like when I return to Australia I'm going to do insert yeah. thing here. Um do you have
4: I don't know, when I go back to Australia? I have seen that and yeah I think I mean aside from the obvious like give my mom a cuddle and introduce my sister to my son uh it would probably be go to my one of my old local cafes uh, order a flat white have some small talk which I never thought I would miss so much uh, and just enjoy a nice coffee without burnt milk like the coffee snob that I am <laughs> <laughs> so it's
3: hard to get good coffee anywhere in, in Europe
1: Leave me
2: how did you find yourself in Sweden uh, at the beginning of the pandemic what brought you to Sweden
4: yeah well I had the uh misfortune I suppose at this point uh to fall in love with a Swede (laughs) um so we met while he was studying in Australia. Um, yeah, I think I snapped him up on his like third day in the country and you know the rest is history. We found out that we were expecting my son in November, 2019 and we're super excited about it. Super surprised, but excited. And we had to sort of like have that chat a little bit earlier than we were expecting. Like, oh, okay, like where are we gonna settle? Where do we wanna do this? My family is amazingly supportive, um, but, you know, the Swedish, uh, system is very financially supportive, <laughs> which is someone who had like just graduated, didn't mm. have like, a whole lot of savings. You know, it's kind of like, oh, if we go to Sweden, you know, you get to experience some Papa leave, uh, you know, childcare is very affordable, um. It'll be a little bit easier for us to manage. We can sort of build up to a point where, you know, we can travel back and forward or we can move to Australia. Because the other thing with Australia is that it's uh, like probably the world's most expensive partner visa. So you have to come up with like an extra eight grand mm. just to get his visa there. Whereas um, I was lucky enough to have an Irish mum. So it wasn't going to be a hassle really for me to move to Sweden. So we made that call in November, booked our flights. Um, mom and dad were planning on coming over when my son was born in, Ju- like he was due in July 2020. Um, so yeah. they were planning on coming over. We had planned a trip back. One of my close friends was getting married in September 2020. So we were like, oh, you know, I was like Googling like how to fly with an infant so that we could like come back and like be there for the wedding and all this sort of stuff. And then uh, January comes and at that point it was like you were hearing about this virus but it was like still mainly in Asia and at the time uh, I was pregnant. We weren't getting like a lot of clear information on like how it affected like pregnant women or you know children or anything like that. So like my biggest concern at the time was because we were transferring through Singapore and so I was like oh shit like. How's this going to go? I honestly didn't think it would stretch like anywhere near as long as it had. And, um, as we got closer and closer to giving birth in July, 2020, we were like, oh shit, like maybe mom and dad can't come visit. And they actually applied several times for a compassionate exemption, uh, to come and like visit us and meet him. Uh, and they got approved, uh, which was amazing. I think I still think we fluked that. I I think that was a total fluke because like I've heard some like hectic stories of like people in much worse situations um, who didn't get approved. So it seems like it's a very like arbitrary process. Um, Mm. But yeah, they were lucky enough to get approved and they came over, they got approved the day after he was born. So they came over the next week. And um, they were meant to be here for three weeks. When they did their, when they did their um, exemption process, they had to provide the dates that they were coming back to the country. Just before they had left, they introduced the caps. Uh, and I think they thought that because they provided their dates for coming back, they thought that their exemption covered them for coming back in as well. They were very surprised to get to the airport and find out that their flight was actually cancelled. They'd come back and it was uh, three very stressful months of not knowing when they could get back to work, not really being able to afford being away for so long and just the uncertainty and having like multiple flights cancelled. We lived in like a single bedroom flat so we couldn't have them stay with us. They had to pay for their accommodation the whole yeah. time that they were there. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, I think we were really grateful for it because now it's obviously been so much longer than we imagined. And if they had have left Mm. when they were meant to leave, you know, they'd only know my son at the like crying potato phase and not like as an actual like mini person.
3: So your parents are still of working age, right? So what type of financial hit does that take on them? Must've been huge.
4: Yeah, it was huge, Um, you know, and they were very privileged, I think, to be in positions where their job wasn't at risk because they couldn't come back. They are in a better position than many, but, like, it still wasn't exactly something they could afford.
2: So they didn't even realise that their plane had been cancelled until they went to the airport on the day they thought they were going back to Australia.
4: Yes, and also... Uh, it was only the second leg that was cancelled, so it was only the Qatar to hmm. Brisbane leg that was cancelled. So they were just lucky that they were notified of that when they did check in, because if they had have gotten their first leg, they would have been stuck in Qatar instead.
3: <laughs> oh my god! In the groups, people will post. People will post like this flight has been cancelled, and I was like, why are they doing that? And it's because people have said like they weren't notified. They just like kind of checked on the app one time and their ticket their flight had disappeared and they were like um does this mean i'm canceled
4: yeah (laughs) i guess it was lucky that it was picked up that the second leg was canceled Mm. uh before they left
3: (laughs) from what i've seen i had i don't have that much resentment towards the airlines that are still flying i think like to me they seem to be in an impossible situation and it seems like they're actually like probably suffering a loss (laughs) at the moment just to like keep the door open to australia mm. so,
0: that's
4: exactly yeah. it and i think there's so many people blame the airlines for having these exorbitant prices but it's like how are they meant to make it financially viable to fly six people you know to one of the longest like on one of the longest hauls, internationally
1: me <laughs>
2: I feel like this is a really unique situation what your uh, parents experience because like I feel like not a lot of Australians have made it out to visit their family members and then gone back and so I feel like there's a lot to it that like people have not heard about before like the fact that you know they didn't realize their flight was cancelled the fact that an exemption to leave the country didn't cover them to come back that's baffling to me
4: yeah and they had no idea they had no idea when they were approved that it did not cover their re-entry
2: I cannot believe
1: that
4: yeah and that was the other thing they uh my parents tried to apply for assistance and they basically if they wanted any assistance coming back to the country they basically had to like declare bankruptcy and like show that they had asked like every member of their family for help first like There was no reasonable way for them to get, like, any kind of loan or help getting back.
3: One, it's already
4: so difficult
3: to get those loans, and two, the actual financial amounts are minuscule.
4: Yeah. Especially when you're in
3: Stockholm. The amounts they give you last, like, I don't know, two weeks.
4: Yeah, they looked into it because they were thinking uh, that they wanted to maybe try and get a business class ticket, hoping that they wouldn't get bummed off if they got a business class ticket. They couldn't really afford a business class ticket. So they were like, oh, maybe we can get a loan. Maybe we, like, we can tap into that government assistance that everyone's talking about um, to try and get a business class ticket back. But, yeah, it was just like the, the criteria to be able to get that was outrageous and mm-hmm. it wouldn't have even covered half of one of their tickets. After
3: all this, how do you feel about the Australian government or Australia as a whole, whatever, whatever is coming to your mind. But also what have your oh. parents expressed about it? Yeah. I mean, especially when you're saying like, you know, your dad's, he's from Queensland, yeah. And my, my family also mm. Queensland farmers, not my direct parents, but my grandparents. In my case, I would be so interested to see like my grandfather, for example, going through this process and see the cognitive dissonance that I assume would occur. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like in your parents' experience?
4: I think I would need like therapy to figure out exactly how I feel about it yeah (laughs) uh because I mean like my dad is one of those like almost like annoyingly positive people so like you you know I've been raised with this like always look the good and like you know all this kind of stuff and so it's like I'm healthy my baby is healthy my husband is healthy everything else will work out eventually so Mm. I haven't thought too much about how I feel about it because when I do, I'm just angry. I'm so, I'm so angry. Like you grow up with this idea of this like intrinsic, like Aussie mateship, this like, you know, Mm. stories of like Anzacs and like, you know, no one gets left behind. And like, I've always been like fiercely independent, you know, and I've, I'm not one to like usually ask for help. I I don't want handouts like, you know, I worked to support myself while I was going to uni um, because I didn't feel like I needed the help. Uh, But I always felt like if I needed help that it would be there and then here I am (laughs) now and I need to get home. And I'm not even asking for help getting home. I'm just asking to be allowed to come home. And it's just like, it's just very, it's isolating in a way that I don't know how to put into words.
3: Yeah. Is it also just a shattered your illusion
4: of your own culture? Yeah, absolutely. I never really like found myself really like analysing like my identity as, a, as an Australian and what it meant to be an Australian and even like how I incorporated that into my own identity. But it's like now it's like being in a foreign country, not for me, like I uh, am still learning Swedish. Um, So I didn't really speak the language very well. And Mm. you don't feel like you belong. It's very different to home. There's like a lot that's very like jarring uh but you don't feel connected to home either because it's like you feel so unwanted like you know I paid taxes and I worked from fourteen to twenty nine I got two degrees I did all of the things I was meant to do I volunteer at a community legal, volunteered at a community legal centre. Um shout out to Mark Swivel in Mullin Bimby doing great things. Um you know I I put as much as I could back into my home and my life. You know, I would like put in submissions for like different law reform. Like I cared so much about the place. But then it's like, you know, I've chosen to marry someone who happens to come from Sweden and my life is now a little bit split. Um, But suddenly it's like that makes me not Australian enough to be of any
1: importance
3: feels like an abusive relationship we're like kind of dependent on them somewhat financially uh well you know A lot of people are and probably not, but, you know, you're some, you have like these connections. The situation is such whether Australia has made that or not, that you depend on it for something, but also you are treated badly by them. And now it feels like we're in a situation where it's like our abuser is also our savior. Like we're waiting for our abuser Mm -hmm. to become our savior by opening borders or giving us more DFAT flights. And it's like, but you created the situation to start with.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then throw in some good old gaslighting from Scomo in the, in the mix. about like a nice little analogy for yeah. sure?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man, the amount of times I, I feel like I can't say gaslighting anymore. Like, it's losing all meaning to the people around me. But, like, yes. honestly, the gaslighting is out of control. I, I, I mean, Trump is pretty bad, obviously. But, like... Gomo is a world class
4: fucking lighter. I think I shared a post the other day about him being our like own version of Donald Trump. It was like a tweet from someone that how many Scott Morrisons does it take to change a light bulb? Light bulbs are a matter for the states. I reject the premise that a light bulb needs changing. We have a horizon with a light at the end of it. It will change when we see it changing, and it can't be clearer than that. Wow, so fucking.
2: Like when we really stop to think about how we're feeling about this, it's scary to contemplate and I I really hear, you know, the pain that you've experienced and I just, um, yeah, I'm so sorry for what you've gone through because I, 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 I think Beck and I both can understand the aspect of moving to a new place and, you know having to like integrate and meet new people and learn a new language but to do that during a pandemic when those things are not possible I can't I can't imagine
4: I feel like I hit the isolation trifecta because it was like new country pandemic and new baby um yeah. <laughs> and so like when I moved I was like oh this is gonna be so nice like I'll move and I'll join some like mama yoga classes and I'll make some friends and it'll be nice but like uh By the time we did get here, things were like, yeah, it was like starting to sort of like show that, oh, this would be more of an international thing. Um, So very soon after we arrived, uh, like all classes were cancelled. When you have a baby, it's very isolating. You feel like you don't matter. (laughs) You're kind of like Mm. stuck, you know, with this like baby in your arms the whole time. I don't know. I don't know if it was good to have them there for the time that was there. Or if it ended up making it worse, because once they weren't there, I ended up uh, struggling with like these feelings of resentment for my uh, mother-in-law, who who was a lovely, lovely person, um, but mm. she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't really show love in the same way. She probably was just trying to make conversation. She would like complain about the traffic or complain about the fifteen-minute drive. Oh my god, a fifteen-minute drive in Stockholm is apparently far too much (laughs) in Australia that's like next door (laughs) I know that it wasn't coming from a bad place and maybe it was just making conversation and also there's the language barrier but like when you're in the middle of it you've got all of the like post-baby hormones and you're struggling to deal with like what is happening with your own country and you don't know when you're going to see your family again to hear someone complain about a 15 20 minute drive when i Mm. don't know when i will get to introduce my own son to my own sister it it Mm. really messed with my mental health on like a level that i can't really explain
3: what about your relationship with your husband i expect that could have caused problems because you know, he kind of becomes it. He is the oh. relationship you have there.
1: Mm.
4: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, luckily for me, I married like the best person I've ever met. Um, <laughs> so he's been amazing. He, he's, you know, he's been like so amazing. Every time I complain, he's like, yeah, it's fucking shit. It like, is fucking shit. <laughs> Thank <thing." laughs> you. no I mean good he's been incredibly understanding and just as angry on my behalf which is you know comforting I guess you feel a little bit validated
3: yeah that's Um, what you need this is what I need that this is what I'm personally feeling like I'm not getting from my family and what is causing me some resentment and I think I maybe understand what you said about your father as far as like Overly positive.
4: Even after having that exposure to how shit the situation is and the fact that our government's completely useless, you know, uh, I'd, I'm sure you guys are aware there was like a spate of recent cancellations and a few airlines have pulled like most of their routes to Australia recently. Um, mm. And like to see mm. that happening at the same time as we're starting to see lots of fucking like daily mail articles about how, you know, Australia is opening back up. Like, no, it's not guys. We're not actually just gallivanting around. Like, yeah, it's it's like, oh, it's so hard.
3: That is is extreme gaslighting on behalf of the government because the government keeps having, the federal government, keeps and New South Wales also, keeps like having these press conferences where they're saying they're opening up and yet like, nothing else is indicating that we're opening up.
4: <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. And it's so wishy-washy. I just so wishy like scroll straight
2: past those headlines. I'm like, yeah. I'm not even yeah. going to entertain the idea. I can't.
3: And it, it, yeah. it also invalidates us and puts us in this position where we're constantly, I mean, we're already in this position as Brie kind of always mentions, but like puts us in this position where we're constantly validating our experiences to people back home and to ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah Mm
4: -hmm. yeah well I think until your podcast I really didn't think I really didn't I really didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it because I felt like no one really gets it and I don't want to seem like I'm just complaining yes use the like use the borders um you know as extra protection while you're trying to figure out like a way to to do things but like don't abandon people because of it like um, this whole like resorting to like hotel quarantine, you know, facilities that aren't meant to be for quarantining, you know, and then, um, getting upset and blaming people trying to get home when, like, when there's a breakout, like, you know, I'm sorry, yeah. but like, you should have done a better job of providing quarantine.
3: Hmm. yeah Yeah. and also like I mean if anyone tries to make an argument with me that we're not abandoned I think like the lack of financial assistance is just like the like you can't argue with that Mm -mm. you can't argue Mm -hmm. with that you've left tens of thousands of citizens overseas during like a once in a lifetime yeah once in a lifetime crisis with pretty much no financial support Mm -hmm. And no yeah. way of getting home.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's like I, I could do, I don't need financial support as long as I can get home. But at the moment, we are like living off of a loan that we took out to start up my husband's business. And we are basically just on completely borrowed time, completely borrowed money, just like waiting and building up debt until we can get home.
1: Let me go.
2: What's kind of your future plan?
4: The job market is really tight in Stockholm. Um, You know, I did struggle to find work. Um, I was really struggling with not knowing when we could see my family again. I was struggling. Uh, My son is the best but also extremely full on. Um, And I was, you know, I was stuck at home with him and I was like, you know, on my worst days, I would literally, like, I would have to call my husband while he was at work because I needed someone to bring me back down because I was just so, like, this point of frustration you have this, like, child that won't stop screaming and nothing that you can do, you know, seems to fix it and it's, like, I need to talk to someone so that I don't do something stupid. Like, um, you know, there was no other outlets and there was no... You know, I couldn't just, like, invite someone around dinner. I couldn't just, like, go, you know, visit a friend or visit a family member. I had no one to help me. I tried to reach out to uh, my husband's family, and I think they maybe just, like, didn't quite get how I was feeling. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
4: I didn't really understand the situation, didn't really, um, yeah, I guess, like, want to help. would really like to have another child, but I mentally – cannot cope with having another one away from my family. I need to have people that I can rely on. I need to have people um, that will be there to help you know, uh, and support. I need that village like for if we're gonna have another another baby. Um, mm. And so we wanna go home. We registered on the DFAT list um, like June this year. Uh, But I didn't realize that you don't really get like there's no like calendar for these fat flights you get about Like a week or two's notice for when the flights come out Uh, the flights the closest flight to us was in Frankfurt Um, And that would be we'd have to fly from Stockholm to Frankfurt Um, We'd have to pay for accommodation because we would have to do a separate test there and then, like, to be able to go back to Australia or something like that. Also, uh, the flights, the flights aren't cheap. Like, they're yeah. packing these planes like sardines and charging, like, a minimum, like, two and a half grand for them. The last uh, DFAT notice I got, the, like, the ticket was, like, 9000 or something like that. I don't know if it was like, I think it was like a premium economy or something like that, but still, um, it's not, they're not like budget cheap, like flights. It's not like a rescue flight. This whole idea that like these repatriation flights, the government has done so many like repatriation flights, like it's still flying at more of a profit than any commercial airline is flying at the moment, Um, which makes me angry. (laughs) But also... The baggage is very limited on those flights. You can only have a maximum 20 kilos and you can't have any extra carry-on, so we wouldn't be able to travel with a bag each and our pram, like for you know the baby in the airport and transit and everything like that. Uh, not only that, but like when we were first trying to book them, um, a week or two's notice is not enough time to try and rent out your apartment to somebody else, pack up everything you own, sell stuff, post stuff back. We've basically packed our lives into suitcases and are trying to, like, do other stuff. We've we fled south. We're in France at the moment. You
3: know, you're s- stuck and you're running out of money and instead you seek refuge in another country, but you can't seek refuge in your own country. Like, neither of you are French.
1: <laughs> and- <laughs>
3: Okay, so now that you've decided to go home. Mm. Uh and you have all these like negative feelings towards Australia. How do you reco- mm. how do you reconcile that and both situation?
4: I love the place. I love the people, you know, the average Australian that you talk to on the street is super fucking lovely and super like willing to help, you know. And you know, almost absurdly friendly when you spend time here <laughs> um mm. you know and obviously my family's there and they're great i think the the produce the climate like all the stuff that i've been missing you know it's literally only the government that i have an issue with and i guess the way that i've reconciled that is i've probably been more motivated to maybe like be more active in the community maybe like Probably, I don't know, maybe I'll go home and I'll join join the Greens. Maybe one day I'll convert my staunch liberal father.
3: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that you have, like, it's the government that you're resentful towards because my resentment extends beyond the government, (laughs) to be honest. Like, I kind of, I don't fully believe that, like, the old adage that countries get the democracies they deserve. I don't believe that in fullness, but I believe that to a point. And so I'm really like struggling with that at the moment. And I'm also really struggling with sometimes when we talk to people and they're like, yeah, people back home don't understand. I'm kind of like, do they not understand or they don't want to understand at this point? Everyone has to know someone who's stuck overseas. There's so many of us overseas and we travel so much as a country. Surely, like if they just were interested in knowing, wouldn't they know? I'm just venting my anger now, but this is what this podcast is for
4: yeah look and I think this is one thing that really attracted me to your podcast is that it's like it's not it's not particularly woe is me it's not particularly like you know like it's not going to be front page news but it's like it's real stories it's real it's how we're really feeling and it's you know I think I think that people back home have a different idea of what is going on in the world. I think it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around, Um, and I don't blame them for that, because I think it should be the Australian government, it's the people that we've elected to that position who should understand, they should be the ones that understand the numbers, they should be the ones that understand the position, they should be the ones that help facilitate that. I do totally understand what you mean with, like, the resentment maybe stretching a bit further. I think uh, in my, like, definitely, like, my darker days, I have to, like, avoid Facebook because if you get, like, on a Nine News, like, website and it's, like, you oh, know, yeah. someone has shared a story about being stuck overseas and there's, like, a thousand comments, like, you should have come home and the government told you to. It's like Thanks, man. you have no idea what's going on. Mm. Um yeah. But thank you for your yeah, it's there's a lot of those comments, and I think I found that really isolating too. I think they increased the cost for like a citizenship application by something like 70%. Um, and I remember thinking, I already have to pay like eight grand to get my husband a visa. Now you want to like increase the cost by like 70% for my son to apply. But it's just kind of like, my country doesn't want me, it doesn't want my family. Like, you feel. Mm. Yeah, so rejected and isolated and you don't feel you know I just moved we moved here like January 2020 so it's like I didn't feel like I had roots in Stockholm either so it's like you're just kind of like cut loose like you have nowhere
3: Mm. yeah this whole I mean, it's not even worth validating, but I just have to say again, like people who say like you should come home when Morrison said to, it's like I just don't even know where to start on that statement. One, Mm -hmm. some people did try and couldn't because guess what? Mm -hmm. There was a pandemic and the airports were chaos. Two, we were then told if, you know, you've got to make a decision financially about where you're best off. So if you have a job overseas, a house overseas, I don't have a house in Australia. I don't have a job in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Where am I best off to survive yeah. a pandemic? Where I am. Mm-hmm.
4: Additionally, yeah. we
3: were told, not at that point, but we were told that we'd be back by Christmas.
4: When we moved, we had no idea that we wouldn't be able to settle in Sweden, that it wouldn't work out for us, That
1: you know, uh,
4: that it was going to be too much. And yeah. we you know, sort of held on and held on and we were like, okay, you know, maybe in a couple months we'll be able to go back to Australia or something. And, and we push that and push that and pushed that. And we're now like, yeah, it's a year and a half plus later.
3: But what were you supposed to do anyway? You have a Swedish husband who doesn't have the right to work in Australia.
4: Even though Sweden didn't work out for us, it's still probably the best option because he wouldn't have had a job in, um, in Australia. He wouldn't have any access to, um, financial help in Australia.
1: Let me
3: At this point, I don't know. I mean, I personally don't think you could ever just, I don't think The extent to which we were locked out was ever justified legally, but I don't know how now it could possibly be justified under emergency measures and contravention of the right of return when people are already, who are tested positive, is exactly what you say.
4: Mm. Like now it's just arbitrary cruelty. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's always been arbitrary cruelty, but I think at first they could kind of get away with the fact that oh, they didn't really know what they were dealing with, but they've had a year and a half now to know what they're dealing with and to have done something about it if they wanted to. Exactly. But how will you guys feel if he wins the next election? Look, I don't know, and this is where it comes back to like what you said about like your resentment maybe extending a little bit more beyond uh just the government like you can blame the government all you want because you don't really want to blame the people because when you talk to people in the street they're fucking lovely my dad is the nicest person you'll ever meet he'd do anything for anyone but he probably will woke like scott morrison back in i don't know
3: (laughs) now it's just going to be a whole other thing because it's like really affected me now I don't know how I can move back. It's going to feel personal.
2: Like, if I find out that my family members have voted yeah, to exactly. him back in, I'm going to be like, have you – you don't, uh, didn't see the trauma that happened over the last 18 yeah. months
3: that he did that. Like <laughs> – You can already see his plan. He's, like, saying borders are going to be open by Christmas, Australians are going to be home by Christmas, and you know that he – Knows that that's probably unlikely. But this is what he's doing. He's going to say, like, well, I've opened the international borders, but then the airlines aren't going to be able to service them because he hasn't done any, like, you know, given them any information. But then he can blame the airlines. He can say that they're price gouging because there's going to be bottlenecks. He can blame the states for not opening up. From what
2: I can see of what's happening in Australia, he has kind of tried to dodge the bullet of the whole COVID responsibility. Yes. By, like, giving it to the states and saying, well, it's
3: not me. It's ridiculous.
1: Let me come
2: home. Thank you so much, Beck, for sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable. We've really loved talking to you. No worries. Yeah, thank
1: you. I can hear the cuckoo The waves that crash along the shore The laughter of the ones I love Purple sunset between the ghosts